0: Well, y'all can be seated. My name is Todd Berkey, and uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm the pastor of uh, Young Adults. We meet in a ministry called (laughs) Junction, and apparently we have some of them here this morning. Uh, Normally, we gather on a Thursday night, uh, but it's Sunday morning, and so we thought we'd bring Junction to y'all this morning. It's just an honor and a a privilege to be here. It's interesting. I was thinking about this stage. Specifically, because it was six years ago, October 26th, uh, 2013 was the last time that I was on this stage and I was getting married. And uh, I just was sitting here going, man, there's such a flood of emotions that comes from that day. Some of you were actually here and, and I'm thinking about that. Obviously, it's a, it's a wedding and so there's excitement, right? And that was the day that the doors opened up and, and down came my beautiful bride, Erin, who's just in truly Truly wonderful and incredible woman who, dare I say, there's none better. And as she was, she was coming down, so I remember the feeling going through my heart of like, wow, I, I don't understand why I get the honor and the privilege to love and serve and lead this woman in life. I, I, like, I just don't get it. And so there's this excitement and joy that was welling up. And yet, as she was coming down the aisle, she was being walked by Paxton and Preston, her two boys. And even though there was joy in the room, there was actually there was an undertone of just kind of some sadness. See, Aaron had lost a husband. The boys had lost a father to brain cancer. And so in this moment, this beautiful moment that is just filled with joy, there was still this undertone of like, ah, oh, a little bit of hurt and disappointment. Now, granted, the joy outweighed it. But it was it was there. And you know, we come into Christmas, and we know that we're supposed to be all like level 10 excitement. And, and yet, if we're, we're honest, there's a lot of us who come into Christmas time, which is kind of a Mixed bag of emotions, right? I mean, I remember, I remember my first time that I experienced this confusion over Christmas that you're supposed to be excited, but there was these different emotions uh, attached to it. Uh, I was living in Michigan at the time with my family. We lived in, in this house. There's snow, so it really feels like Christmas. And uh, my sister, she had had a friend spend the night, the, the night before. This was a couple days before Christmas, but I got up early. I came down to the Christmas tree and I'm just looking at it, looking at the gifts. And as any good third grader would do, I'm only really looking for the ones with my name on it. And so I'm looking and I'm just sitting there going like, I wonder what's in there. I wonder what's in there. I'm dreaming. I'm just kind of getting really excited for the season. I hear my sister and her friend's voice coming down the hallway. And I think, ah, change of plans. I'm going to scare them. I'm going to scare them good. And so I dove underneath. We had this afghan, this blanket that was on the ground. I dove underneath it, and you could see through it. And so I could watch them come in. I'm like, okay, just get ready. Do like, jump out and get them. And as I'm sitting there and I'm waiting, I start hearing what they're saying. And my sister's like, now, this is what I got my dad and she begins to tell her friend what she had gotten my dad. And I'm sitting there going, "Ooh, what do I do? Do I scare or do I just sit here a little longer and see if she goes all the way through the family? I think I'll wait. And so I did. And so I'm waiting down there. And this is what I got my mom. And then she's like, and this is what I got Todd." And so then my ears I'm like, I'm ready to go. This is going to be so awesome. And she says, I got him a book. And she started enlisting to some other things. Now, there are some people who are readers, and that's great. As a third grader, I was not a reader. And so underneath this blanket, I'm sitting there going, a book? Like Does she not know me at all? What is is wrong? This is like the worst gift ever. And so I'm starting to have this mixture of emotions. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll let them sneak out or leave, and then I'll sneak out. But then my dad's voice shows up. Hey, girls, how's it going? You want some breakfast? And I'm sitting there going, oh, no. I can't get out of this without being found out. Like, what do I do? And as any good third grader would do, I just held still, play dead, right? And so as my dad is talking with my sister and and her friend, we just kind of play games in our house sometimes. And so they started throwing either a, a tennis ball or I don't remember what it was, but they were throwing something and my sister missed it and it happened to hit the blanket that I was hiding underneath. See, it's key to the story because usually if it hits a blanket, it just absorbs the blow. But when there's a Todd hiding underneath it, it bounces off his ribcage and shoots off, which then required my dad to go over like, wonder what's going on here. <laughs> Pulls back the blanket, and there is Todd going, surprise. I just had all these emotions that were going through me because I I had been excited and it turned to this disappointment. And then I really felt embarrassed and ashamed because I knew that I shouldn't have been listening in on those secrets. And I'm like, ah. And then rage happened, not from me, but from my sister. She got mad. And so she was like, how dare you? I'm taking back the He-Man. I'm taking back the Battle Cat. I'm like, I thought I was getting a book. And so all of a sudden the emotions come back. Like, this is going to be great. Until the next day all the presents were just gone from underneath the tree. It's very sad, but the new box reappeared and it was okay. The He-Man showed up and it still was a good Christmas. But I, I was just thinking about Christmas as a whole. There's this mixture of emotions, right, that we carry into it. And um, it's not usually because you've been found out underneath a blanket listening into to Christmas gifts. A lot of times this just serves as a marker throughout the course of the year, doesn't it? Where we sit there and we reflect back and we say, man... The year is not gone how I hoped it would. Maybe my life hasn't gone as I hoped it would. I've lost a loved one. What will life look like with, without them? Man, I've had so many mistakes this year. We carry this just mixture of happiness and hurt into the holidays. Let me give you just one other example with that. When I was in my 20s, um, I was part of the singleton group, which was just I was single. I was unmarried all throughout my 20s and into my 30s, but that wasn't the narrative that I had written for myself. That wasn't the plan that I had for myself. I had, if you think of, like, Clark Griswold from Christmas Vacation, like, he and I are somewhat similar in how we dream of things. In my mind, I thought by 25 I'd be married, certainly by 27 I'd have some kids. And certainly before I got out of the 30, out of my 20s, I would have a home, a great job. I'd be able to host all of my family in. I just had these visions of me making pancakes on the griddle and welcoming everybody down. I, mean, I just had built this up so big. Well, every year Christmas time rolled around and you know what? I, I was single. I didn't have a home. I was just disappointed. Both, you know, I felt like a failure relationally, vocationally, financially. And year after year after year after year after year, after year this went on. And I hit it well. I mean, I hit it really, really well when I, when I come home because I was excited. It was a time of rest. And I got to have time with my family, which I loved and enjoyed. But I also had this re- recurring over and over and over. And so today, what I want us to do is I want us to look at A very famous Christmas passage found in 2 Samuel. I know we don't normally go there, but in 2 Samuel, we're going to be chapter 7 as we talk about just what do we do when there's these hurts? Is there a pathway for, for hope during the holiday season or really any other time? And... If you're familiar with 2 Samuel chapter 7, you're like, well, this is the Davidic covenant, which it is. And normally when we we enter into 2 Samuel chapter 7, we're talking about the entire narrative of scripture, saying, here's a promise God made, here's a promise God has made, here's a promise God has made. And we're looking at that, and he does do that. But today I want us to look just a little differently. I want us to look at the circumstances. I want us to look at David. I want us to walk through this and just see, are there some principles or are truths here that we can latch on to that's going to help us bring hope in the middle of the hurt. Because honestly, this morning when we're, we're thinking about this, you need to know, and I needed to know, but nobody ever told me this. This time of year, it's okay to not be okay. If you're struggling with the holidays, you're not a bad Christian. It's okay to not be okay. But let's agree on this as well. God is active even in the hurts. And he desires in this time for us to connect with him that we would continue to draw our life, our value, our identity, and worth from him and him alone. And that's what I want us to look at here. So when we're diving in here, we're going to make three stops. And here are the three stops. And just if you're like keeping track and keep track of time, you're sitting there going, they're not equally weighted, just so you know. So uh, we'll spend more time really on the source of hurts and the plan of hurt, and we'll just fly through the practice area. So don't get nervous. It's going to be a okay. Let's look in here, though, before we dive in the source of this, this hurt. And it's, David is a key figure here, and for those of you who don't know much about David, we've had basically, if you're reading through Scripture, you would have had 21 chapters to get to know David. Going back to 1 Samuel chapter 16, you get to see what does his life actually look like, and it's interesting, you know, if you, if you remember when he's, when he's first introduced to us, Samuel is going to anoint a new king, and he comes to... Um, Jesse's home, and he's like, hey, where are your kids? And here's a kid, here's a kid, here's a kid. Nope, nope, nope. Well, do you have any other? I mean, this was a huge honor. And like, yeah, we got David. He's out in the field. I mean, at this time of huge honor, he's just forget, forgotten out with the sheep. He's brought in, and Samuel's like, really? And God's, yes, this is my next king. We learned, too, as you walk through that his brothers, man, there was just some, some friction that was going on. And when he'd show up to the battle before he fought the big pickle, you know, when he shows up and, and his brother's like, "What do you, why, why are you even here? He's looking for gossip. I mean, there's just tension. There was family tension that was going on there. He'd been promised to be king. He defeated a giant. He faithfully served the current king, Saul. I mean, this is truly incredible. You are the next king, but he faithfully serves the current king. And he does all that he possibly can to extend his reign. Even though he spends most of that time being falsely treated as Saul's enemy. Saul several times tries to pin him to the wall with a spear. Yeah, you, know, you continue. He lived on the run. Yet he patiently waited for God's timing. That's, that's David, and the kingdom now has has come under his control. And even that just required some tact of David, and it was kind of messy and kind of weird. But that's where we step into Second Samuel chapter seven. If you were to look at David's circumstances at this point in time, you would probably think that he's really maybe not blessed; that maybe he's more cursed. If you really go back and you read through it, you're like, how is this guy really loved by God? Because look at his circumstances. And yet he's been blessed all the way, which is truly, truly incredible. But let's dive in here. And let's just look here at the first couple of verses here. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. says this. It says, The king, that's David, he settled into his palace, for the Lord had given him relief from all his enemies on all sides. The king said to Nathan the prophet, look, I'm living in a place made from cedar while the ark of God sits in the middle of a tent. I just want us to pause there. Go, That's nice. That's the setting. That's great. But are, are you catching this? David currently has a time of rest. It's God-given rest. He hasn't had a whole lot of that the entirety of his life. And he enters into this season where it's just different, and God says, you have some rest. And it's interesting, when he hits that season of rest, what is he he really thinking on? He's thinking about God, right? He's he's thinking fully on, I'm here in this nice house, the ark where people go and meet with God, that's out in the tent, this isn't right. His thoughts during that time of rest, they're on God. Well, we're coming into this season of rest, I mean, it's incredible. As much as people don't want to say Merry Christmas when you're out and about, the reality is most of us in the U.S. get the 25th off because of Christmas. And it's God-given rest that's built in. And yet many of us, we just cram so many other things into this God-given time of rest. David, with his God-given time of rest, thought about God. Where do our thoughts go? When we come into this season, what is it that consumes our mind? I was thinking about this. For for me, man, I think a lot of times it's just natural to go back to like, oh, shattered dreams. Here we are. Remember, 25 came and went. Still single. 27. 29. 29 for the fourth time. You know, whatever it may be. A lot of times during these times of God-given rest, if we're just left alone... We dwell to our shattered dreams or we move it to just our self-wants and our desires. Is whatever I want. This is all about me. It's I've earned this time of rest. Therefore, I'm going to do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. Some of us, we come back and we think, oh, hmm, my family's broken. When I look back, when I was a kid, the things that happened to me, oh, and our mind just drifts and parks there. Past failures. Other of us, we just know it's bad, and so we look to escape. You know, we just, like, I don't want to deal with it. And so where Netflix, Disney Plus is out, I need to go ahead and just watch all of Star Wars to get ready for the new one. Just whatever I can do to avoid actually thinking about stuff that's happened in my life. Others maybe of a younger generation, they get their controllers out. And they're like, I just don't want to think about anything other than creating a world in which I feel like a success as opposed to dealing with my reality that I know I'm not. What do we do with our minds during this time of rest? I think it's beautiful that right there, 2 Samuel 7, 1 and 2, David, during his God-given time of rest, what did he do? He's thinking about the things of God. Let's continue here as we're and He's hanging out there, and Nathan, this is the first time we bump into him, and Nathan says to the king, well, man, you should go do whatever you have in mind for the Lord, is, he's with you. Now, Nathan is not making a, thus saith the Lord declaration. He's just saying, David, you're king. And when I look at the history that has happened, how God has brought you, it's certain God is with you. So go get it done. So imagine being David at that moment. Imagine being you at that moment, right? Like, you're, you, oh, my thoughts are on God and I, oh, I really want to do this grand thing. It's a gesture of just love for him. Maybe you go to bed at that night, Nathan's going to have a different experience. But maybe David, I don't know what his thoughts were, laying there going, Oh man, well, i got to build a a temple, cedar. I don't know much about cedar. I better start learning a lot about cedar. Uh, I don't know, but it's going to be exciting. I just don't know, but we know that David, is he's got the green light thus far. And now the disappointment hits. That night, the Lord told Nathan... Go tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says, Do you really intend to build a house for me to live in? I have not lived in a house from the time I brought the Israelites up from Egypt to the present day. Instead, I was traveling with them and living in a tent. Wherever I moved among all the Israelites, I did not say to any of the leaders whom I appointed to care for my people Israel, Why have you not built for me a house made from cedar? Disappointment is coming David's way. And it all comes around this, right? God is saying, David, I never asked that of you. You're going to be disappointed when I say no. But I never asked that of you. And when I think about my own life, when I look at the times and the stresses sometimes that I carry, when I think about... Some of the disappointments that, that I just kind of deal with. Some of the hurts that I have. If I really stop and I trace it back to the root, oftentimes this is the very thing I think that God would tell me. Todd, I never asked that of you. Examples of this. I mean, I just, I, I think about this. Todd, go, big, uh, go build a big ministry. God never asked me to build a big ministry. And what does even a big, what does it mean? I, I don't even know what a big ministry means. God has asked me to faithfully minister to those that he puts in my path. Not build something huge and ginormous. If that happens, that's his work. That's not mine. He's just asked me to be faithful. He's asked me to trust him. He's asked me to image him. To behave as he is. That's what he's asked. What he asked of David, I'm looking for a man after God's own heart. Some of the other things that... I, I already shared with you, I thought I'd be married by 25, but God never asked that of me. And so I spent a decade, over a decade actually, of just dealing with this hurt and disappointment. Not from something that, that I disappointed God in. He never asked that of me. Actually, it's interesting. By by being single, it allowed me to go all over the world and serve in different churches and work with a variety of different people, bringing the hope of the gospel that I never could have done more than likely if I had a family just because finances were so thin at each of these places that I got to go and serve. God had a different plan. But I sit there I'm like, oh, I'm just disappointed. Just disappointed. Oh, perfect kids, that's another one that sometimes, man. God has not asked me to produce perfect kids. I know that's hard. He's asked me to, to, to love them. He's asked me to lead them. He's asked me to discipline them. He's asked me to help them find a, a great foundation so they'll have everything possible that they would love and serve the Lord with the rest of their life. That's what he's asked, to give them security and stability, to lavish patience and prayer on them. But so often, they will make choices that are contrary to what I would hope, and I'm like, oh, my identity just feels like it's just rocked to the core. Even when I'm being faithful in the things that God has asked. Sometimes, I don't know about you, sometimes I get tricked, get bamboozled that my value, my my identity and worth is actually in my kid's performance. It's not. I know it's not, but there are just moments that I do that. And when those moments, of maybe there's moments of disappointment when that happens. You know what? It's not from things that God ever asked of me. I'm heaping it on myself. Make everyone happy. I'm a people pleaser through and through. That's just me. But he never asked that. He asked me to speak truth, to be loving, to be serving. Some financial level, he never asked me to be massively rich. It's actually all his anyway, right? We're just stewards of it. Or to fix other people. Man. that By being a people pleaser and a fixer... I, If people come to me and and they're just hurting, I just want to step in and I will walk with them and I will walk with them and I will give them counsel and wisdom and I'll be praying and I will be almost more invested in their success than they are. That's really not healthy. Many times some of the people who are coming, they really, at the end of the day, they don't want to change. They don't want to be different. They just want somebody to sit there and say, you're right. Everything is horrible. There is no hope for you. That's what you're hoping that I'm going to say, but I'm not going to. And so if left to myself. I'll sit there and say, I must fix them. But that's something that God never asked of me to do. He did ask me to listen, to love, to speak truth, to serve, to pray. But he didn't ask me to be the fix. Christ and Christ alone is the fix of the brokenness that we all, all face. What about us? When you come into this, this season, there's any disappointments or hurts? Are they rooted really from things that God has asked of you? Or have you been bamboozled like me and started to pursue some things that just was never asked of us. There's other sources, though, and I don't want to be just flippant as we're coming through here because, listen, there, there are other things that unfold in our lives that are just deep and they're big hurts. You can be fully faithful in everything that God has asked of you and still lose your job. You can still run into sickness, betrayal. You can lose a loved one. And, and I, just want to, I just want to pause here for just just a moment, and I I don't want you to, to, for me to come across as treating these losses and hurts as just, just minimize them. And so if you just get to point number two, then you should all just be happy. That's just not the case. Sometimes our hurts are really deep, and sometimes a loss is really big, and sometimes we need somebody who's, who's really trained to walk through these seasons of life, through these seasons of life, not to park there, not to be dominated by our disappointments. And, and I just mentioned that, that that's okay. So many times there's just a stigma that, no, if you need some extra help outside of just following step two that Todd's going to tell you, then there's something wrong with you. And that's just not the case. About 10 years ago, I walked through the, the largest loss that I have ever experienced in my life. I mean, it rocked me to my core. I was not who I am. I wouldn't look anybody in the eyes. I would come into work. I just had my head down. I just wanted to fade away. There was no laughter. There was no joy. It was just existence. It was bad. And, and as healing started coming back, I mean, I could take you to San Antonio to the stoplight. I could tell you right where I was, sit there, and I had a thought, and I laughed. It was the first time that I heard myself chuckle in months. And as I started coming out of this, as God was bringing me out of this, what I found was I kind of plateaued. And the things that used to give me this level 10 response, like, that's awesome, now kind of gave me a level 7 response. I just didn't know. Is this going to be my new norm? And so, spent some time going and talking with a counselor because I just needed help navigating that area. Cool thing is that, given enough time and the incredible God that we have, all of me came back. That loss it marked me, but it didn't define me. It's really a beautiful Savior. And so, as we as we prepare to step into here, kind of that source, that pathway that God's going to give, He's going to lay out here in 2 Samuel 7 again don't just hear me going like well if whatever you're dealing with just follow these things and you're going to be fine that's not at all what I'm saying follow Christ well and if it requires some of the hurts and disappointments to to walk with somebody else who's trained in these areas to help diagnose different things that are going on it's it's okay it's okay to not be okay during this time and this season what's that pathway? we're going to roll right into it here and let's just let me just read 2nd Samuel chapter 7 8 through 17 it says this It's this still God talking to Nathan Nathan hasn't yet delivered this bad news so he's still hearing God says so now say this to my servant David this is what the Lord of hosts says I took you from the pastures and from the work as a shepherd to make you leader of my people I was with you wherever you went and I defeated all your enemies before you Now I will make you as famous as the great men of the earth. I will establish a place for my people Israel and settle them there. They will live there and not be disturbed anymore. Violent men will not oppress them again as they did in the beginning. And during the time when I appointed judges to lead my people Israel. Instead, I will give you relief from all of your enemies. The Lord declares to you that he himself will build a dynastic house for you. When the time comes for you to die, I will raise up your descendants, one of your sons, to succeed you. I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name, and I will make his dynasty permanent. Let's skip down to 16. Your house and your kingdom will stand before me permanently. Your dynasty will be permanent. And then verse 17, Nathan told David all these words that were revealed to him. Talk about kind of a downer conversation coming back. Hey, David, how'd you sleep last night? Oh, man, it's great. I got these plans. Yeah, kind of hold. What are you talking about? I mean, scripture doesn't tell us how, how David responded, but you can see that he's excited beforehand. He gets this news delivered. There has to be some disconnect. I'm like, wait, wait, what? Huh? And God now is going to lay out. It's just is really, I think it's beautiful. Just a few things are happening here within the covenant. First thing, if you notice there, God is saying, hey, you just need to embrace your position. When you're dealing with hurts and this disappointment, David, I want you to embrace your position. It says it there in 7, 8. So now say this to my servant, David. He doesn't say, say this to King David. He reminds David very quickly, listen, I am the greatest, you are my servant. I'm in charge, you're not. I'm the one who provides for all that you need, not you. You are a steward, David. That's your position. And so when these hurts happen, a lot of times I kind of want to do the opposite. If I'm honest, a lot of times the hurts happen. I want to be like, Oh, that did not go how I wanted it. Oh, I can't believe that they would do this to me. I can't believe this happened to me. And it's all me, 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 me. How do I need to fix this? As opposed to just stopping for a brief moment and embracing my position. God, I don't understand why this unfolded. But I'm not in charge, you are. And I trust you. It's a lot of freedom, really, when you think about that. When we finally say, I'm not the one who's in charge. He is, and I will embrace the position. Second thing God points him to. He says, man, look at the work in your past, David, disappointments and hurts hit. He says, embrace your position. But David, look back. Just, we look back. And it says it here in Second Samuel 7, 8, and 9, this is what the Lord of hosts says. I took you, David, from the pasture. And from your work as a shepherd to make you leader of my people Israel. I was with you wherever you went. I defeated all of your enemies before you. Again, this is so unnatural, isn't it? That's why, that's why we're told that we need to have a, a transformed mind, right? Our minds need to be renewed. Because naturally, again, hurts happens, disappoints happens, and we want to focus in on ourselves. Instead, God says, no, 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 no. Just pause for a moment, embrace your position, and then just stop and think back. Look at all that I have done. Look at all the ways that I have worked in your, in your life. Will you just stop and take some of that time to look there? points it out to David. Well, what has God done for you? You know, you really just stopped and, and thought deeply about what has God done for you? I mean, this is the time, right, where we celebrate Christ's birth. And it's exciting. Why is it so exciting? Because we are all broken. We're born broken. We are born ruined. And we know it all of us we have conversations all the time with young adults they know they're broken and how do they know because they keep trying to find their identity their value their worth they try to find their fix in all sorts of things they try to find it in their degrees like if i just get if i get the phd then i'll prove everybody wrong it'll fix my brokenness well, did it work when you got your bachelor's? Well, no. How about your master's? No. Why do you think it's going to work there? Because your education, while great, and that's a good stewarding of, of how God has made you, that's not going to fix your brokenness. Others are running after their careers. Others are saying, man, if I can just get to this income level, if I can just get to this, this title Meet others who are like, if I just get this house, Todd. If you don't, you don't understand, I want to host Christmas. You, you have no idea what it's like, Todd. You and Aaron have been married forever in a year. I'm like, oh, hold on. I know what it's like to be on that path of disappointment. But what has he done for you? In the hot mess that we are, the brokenness that we are, that we know these things don't work, right? I mean, we start learning that early on with Christmas. Every gift that we get, we get so excited. If I just get this, I'll be complete. And for like a day or two, it works. And then we're like, oh, this gift is lame, The gifts just get bigger and more expensive, right? As we go, we buy into it. If I just get the new iPhone 11, then my selfies are going to look even better and more people will like my status. And then it doesn't work. And we realize it's probably not the camera. It's probably something else. So that brokenness is deep and we know that. And and what has he done? He He sent his son, Jesus, to die in your place. That's the price to fix our brokenness. We could not pay it, and so he paid it for us. He came willingly. He wasn't forced to. He chose, and he said, okay, I'll go for you. Can you imagine if we really think on that? But just nobody loves me. Can you just stop for a moment and think about the magnitude of the gospel? Christ died in your place. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the grave to declare to you that he loves you passionately. He desires to engage with you every moment in every situation. This is incredible good news. He will fix the brokenness. He's it. None of the things that you're aiming for will work. He will. Isn't that exciting what he has done for you and for me to fix the brokenness of the world? It's truly incredible. And then he does this weird thing. He says, I'm not asking you to clean your act up. I'm not asking you to like, fix all your, the things you think are broken and then come to me. He's like, no, just come to me. I'll just give it to you freely. My wife and I, we, we were watching, my family, we watched uh, Christmas with the Cranks last night. Don't see it. It's just not good. Um, but there's one scene, spoiler, because you shouldn't see it anyway. If you've seen it, that's fine. Anyway, he, he walks over to a neighbor and he says, hey, here's this cruise and flights and everything that's needed. The vacation is yours. And the guy's like, well, can I pay you something? He's like, no, you're, you're overcomplicating this. It's really pretty simple. Just take it. Say thank you. That's the gospel message. That he's willing to fix your brokenness and he's not asking you to pay him money. He's not asking you to clean up your act. He's not asking any of those things. He's just saying, here is my life. It's given for you. And to receive it, we just say, thank you. I think that's amazing. But you know, as we say thank you, things change, right? More than that happens. That should be enough. But as we begin to think more about what he's done, man, he has fully forgiven you. He's made you a new creation. He's freed you from sin. He's freed you from sin. He has freed you from the power of sin. It's no longer absolutely you have to run that way. No. And you're fully loved. He's made you blameless, complete. You have eternal life. You're a child of God. Blows my mind away. That we go from being enemies to being his loved child. That he says the kingdom is yours. You're chosen. You're clean. In Christ there's tremendous things that he has done for us. Do we take some intentional time and really think about that? God was pointing, David, look back. I took you from here. I took you from here. I fought all those battles for you. It's me. Look how faithful I've been in the past, David. But then he continues, and it just kind of gets better. He says, David, look at the promises that I have for your future. Now, David, I will make you as famous as the great men of the earth. I will establish a place for my people. I will give you relief from all of your enemies. The Lord declares to you that he himself will build a dynastic house for you. You want to build a house for me? That's nice. I want to do something greater for you. He continues, when the time comes for you to die, I will rise up a descendant, one of your descendants, one of your own sons, he's gonna succeed you and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name and I will make his dynasty permanent. David, remember your position. David, look back, look back. Look at what I've done. David, look forward. You know, was God faithful? Was he actually faithful to those promises? I mean, the answer is yes. I mean, that's what we get ready to celebrate, right? We're we're celebrating the one who's coming to establish a permanent kingdom that will never be moved, right? It's truly incredible. All this happened, you know, roughly a thousand, you have to do some rounding, but a little over a thousand years prior to those angels ever descending down and talking with Zechariah, coming down and talking with Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, that's when the promises were made. The timeline we had no idea. David had no idea, but God was still faithful, was He not? In Luke, let me see. I've got it here. Let's flip over here. Luke chapter one verses thirty-one and thirty-two. Listen, angel says to Mary, "You will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, and he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High." And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Isn't that amazing? And over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. God is faithful. It's truly incredible. Well, what's God promised us? Maybe you really start to think about it. our future is secure. I mean, there's nothing that we can do that will separate us from the love of God. There's nothing. There's no created force that can come and say, well, you know, that whole thing that God gave you. It's just kind of conditional. No, it's taken care of. Wow. How beautiful is that? The fact that he'll never leave us. I mean, have you thought about that? Even though at times we are unfaithful, at times we live massively rebellious lives, even when we have seasons like we don't want to honor Him, we want to try to forget about Him, but He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. I mean, that's just truly, truly a beautiful thing. He promises a future that's going to go on a lot longer than here, and it's going to be without hurt, without tears, without fears, no more death. it's, It's beautiful. So just really quick, just... Going back over here, the three things that we see him. David, you're dealing with that disappointment. You can't build me the house. You can't build me the temples. You're not going to do it. What? I can't. No, but David, before you start writing this narrative, David, before you start saying, it's because you don't think I'm good enough, God. Is that what it is? God, it's because I'm really small, right? Is that what it is? Oh, God, it's because you don't think that, that I know enough about woodworking. Oh, no wonder you're not using me in the way that I thought and I wanted to be used. Before you even start writing that narrative, David, Todd, before you even start writing that narrative about having your identity wrapped up in in your children or your ministry or your money, before you even start writing that narrative, will you just stop for a moment, Todd, and just embrace your position? Will you Will you look back at my faithfulness? Coming back, I mean, to Aaron walking down with the boys. I had that hope to be a father. And at 40. I thought it was gone. I thought there was just no way. And I was okay with that. I was like, okay, God, you've got a different store for me. So okay. What an incredible thing that God did to use a website called eHarmony to match some guy in Santiago, Chile with some girl in College Station, Texas, who happened to have these two incredible, amazing boys. And on that day, I gained a beautiful wife and beautiful children. What a faithful God. He just works in incredible ways on different timelines than what I would have ever imagined. And yet he has continued promises for our future. Well, quickly, let's just wrap things up here by looking at practice. How, how did David respond? It's really interesting as you continue to, uh, to read, but let's just park back in the scene. David just got that bad news, Right? During his rest time, he's doing the right thing. He's thinking about God. He desires to build God a house. It's a great thing. And initially he's told, do it. And then all of a sudden, yeah, nope. But here it is, David. I want you to think about your position, your past, and the promises. And what does David do? Right away in 18, King David went in and sat before the Lord. He just sit there for just a moment. We don't know. Is he going to come in? Is he going to whine? Is he going to come in? Is he going to complain? Don't know yet. But we do know that he comes in before the Lord here I am I acknowledge you're God I am not then what does he do oh well that's actually worth noting too ten times there from 18 to 29 and every time that David refers to himself he's always your servant your servant your servant your servant that's my position you're God I am not in his disappointment he's like I get it Okay. His work in our past, he says, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my family that you should have brought me to this point? And I'm tempted, if I'm honest, I'm tempted when I look back to say, Look what I have done to bring myself to this point. And David says, No, 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 no. Who am I that you would do this for me? And he continues on, right? And you didn't stop there, O Lord, but you've also spoken about my future. Your servant's family, for the sake of your promise and according to your purpose, man, you have done this great thing. He's talking like it's an accomplished fact, even though he hasn't tasted it yet. I just think that's incredible to see that unfold. And then did David, after walking through that, did he sit there and say, it's time to go back to moping no, we see him go out in battle after battle. When he, the spoils are there, he, it to the, he dedicates it to the Lord. Dedicates it to the Lord. And actually at the very end of, or towards the end of Chronicles in 28 verse 2, he's gathered everybody around and he's talking to Solomon and in the presence of everybody. He says this, uh, King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, everybody, brothers and my people. I wanted to build a temple where the Ark of the Lord's Covenant could be placed as a footstool for our God. I wanted to, but I couldn't. God said that wasn't my role. I had a different role for me. And so you know what I did? I have made preparations for the building. I have gathered things all over the place. I've embraced the position that God has for me. He didn't want me to be CEO. He only wanted me to be VP. I'll be content with that. He didn't want me to be the shift manager. He only wanted me to be the fry guy at Wendy's. I'll be okay with that. I'll be okay with that. You know, if I'm a visual guy, and so a lot of times when I think through this, I just kind of think of, of a bucket or a funnel. You know, disappointments or the hurts they hit, and I have a choice. Will I run it through the one side that says, I'm going to embrace my position in God, I'm going to look at what He has done, I'm going to look at what God will do. This is not natural by any means, shape, or form, and so we do have to kind of stop and go like, wait a second, I know I'm disappointed. Before I move on and chase this thought, let me just stop for a moment and embrace my position Think of the past and think of His promises. The natural way, though, natural way. Huh. Now I'm going to elevate my position. This should never happen to me. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I have been through? And then we're going to continue to, just to look at our losses. And when we talk to people, all we're going to do is continue to talk and talk and talk about look, look how I've been wronged all over the place. And then we're going to continue to just look what this thing that happened to me. How my future is completely ruined. That's the natural way, but God has called us to be unnatural. He's called us to be different. None of those funnels help me. The end of Junction, what we typically try to do is we try to just give a challenge. We try to encourage people to have, here's a practical thing, practical thing to do, practical things to step into. You're coming into a time of rest. Are you going to be intentional? Are we going to be intentional with this? You know, can we sit there and say, hey, I'm going to spend five minutes Five minutes, the first five minutes of the day, I'm going to spend five minutes. In, all I'm going to do is I'm just going to think about, man, God, well, how have you worked my past? I'm going to choose to direct my thoughts that way. Or maybe you're in the middle of a hurt right now. You knew we're going to reject, maybe we're going to decide just to challenge us to, be, to reject that passivity, to, to go down to the red funnel instead to say, no, 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 no. I'm going to choose to embrace my position. I'm going to think about his work in our past. I'm going to think about his promises for the future. I'm going to choose to do that for just a few moments. And then we always, we always end with this one. Challenge you over the holidays. Share with somebody what God has been doing. He's active in all of our lives. A lot of times we sit there and we, we just hunker down and we walk through these things alone, and we never are willing to step out and begin to say, Can I just tell you what God has been doing? Or maybe that's just too far for you. Maybe you're like, I, just, I don't know if I can even articulate it. And so my challenge would be this. As you're sharing, like, I know God's been faithful with me. What things are you walking through that I could pray for you this next year? How could I pray for you? And now all of a sudden you've taken this conversation into a spiritual place. We do that at restaurants all the time, my family. Or when I meet with young adults, we'll ask the wait staff, hey, can I, we're getting ready to pray before this. How can, I, how can I pray for you? And I'm amazed almost every time, every time they have something for me to pray about, But almost every time they tell me their entire life story, then they come back mid-meal and they're like, I'm so sorry. I told you all these things. I haven't told anybody else that I've worked with for the last 18 months. Like, I don't know what came over me. Like, well, maybe somebody had some concern for you. We have a great God. He's in charge. He's done great things for us. He's given us great promises We know he's faithful because we celebrate the birth and the coming of of Christ, which was a promise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, I'm so far from perfect, Lord. It's really easy at times to sit there and think, oh, well, just three steps and and be happy, Lord. But it's so many times that I choose, Lord, to just say, no, I don't want to think about my position. I've, I've done that enough. It's time for me to elevate me, Lord. Thank you that you, you love me in spite of that. Father, as we get ready to, to head out onto the world, um, Lord, as we get ready to go and celebrate Christmas, I just pray for, for each of us in this room, Lord, that we would just pause for a moment and be able to go like, wow, you are God. Look what you have done. And that that awe and wonder would come in and just begin to help us move any hurts that we have to a place and a position of hope. Father, we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus. It's his name we pray, amen. Y'all have a very, very Merry Christmas.